the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Mainly this show is a news-driven show. And I would like to do that for you today, but I think I'm going to take a little bit of a break. And do show. I'll cheat and tell you all in a streak. And one of the things I've said earlier this week and last week was I kind of want the S&P 500 to get a little more broad. For the first three months of the year, we were talking about a market recovery. Nice to see. Then we started talking about why is it only seven stocks that are doing well? The Amazons, the Alphabets, the Microsofts, the Apples, NVIDIA. And if you didn't own one of them, you're saying, you know, I see the market's doing really well this year, but not not everything is. And I said, I would like to see small cap stocks do well. Small cap stocks are an asset class. Tech stocks that are mega cap, they're still considered large cap. Unfortunately, we should have a new tier called mega cap. And maybe we will. This goes back to something that I learned 25 years ago. And earlier this week, I talked about how there's a horse race of all these different asset classes. And I was very, I think, graphic with you about it. I said the horse race starts on the left. And you can have REITs, international stocks, small cap stocks, cash, emerging markets, high yield bonds, stocks, international bonds, gold. You get the idea. And all they're, they're ranked one to t- uh, they're one to ten up and down, okay? They're all in the left column. And in one year, emerging markets might be the winner or the underperformer. And gold might be the winner in one year, and REITs might be the loser in another year. Depending on what year you're talking about. Like for instance, if you're talking about 2008. There were a lot of losers, emerging markets, international REITs, large cap, small cap, high yield bonds. Cash was got you 2%. Bonds got you 5.1%. Gold got you 5.4%. So in 2008, when we had a volatile market year, the areas that tend to perform the best or the safest during volatility uh, down years did the best. There is something called the Callan periodic table of investment returns. I want you to look for it. I want you to like see what it's all about. And you can go to a website called Callan, www.callan.com and get an eyeball. And it's visually, it's graphic visually. It's pretty cool in my opinion. Um, you may need your glasses. Because it's something you're going to have to like take us. You'll, you'll figure it out fast. 
Um, but you can see in 2003 emerging markets, big winner up 55% in 2003. Small cap stocks up 47%, real estate up 40%. Um, were there any losers? Income up 4%, cash up 1.1%. And then you can pick another year and you'll see, let's go to uh, 2014. Real estate up 15%, large cap stocks up 14%. Fixed income up 6%, small cap stocks up 5%. High yield up 2.4%, cash zero. Emerging markets were down 2%. It wasn't a good time to invest in developing nations. Global countries, if you exclude the United States, down 3%. I want you to try to play with this concept in your head. Right now, what's worked really well in 2023 are the mega cap stocks. And at the beginning of this week, I said, uh, at the end of last week, the Russell 2000 had an outperformed day up 2.5%. I said, that's sweet because some of these asset classes I don't own. I don't own small cap stocks in my stock portfolio, but I do in my 401k and my managed accounts. This is the difference between a professional investor and an individual retail investor. I looked Monday when the numbers came in for what happened on Friday, and my my 401k percentage-wise moved higher than the percentage movement in my stocks because the small cap stocks had their day. I don't want to say every dog has its day. That's going to send you the wrong message. But the difference between professional investors and individual is the down years aren't so bad. And that's what it comes down to. Um, if you go stock picking, I'll beat you. I think of myself as the greatest stock picker of all time. I know that's silly to say, but that's the attitude I bring to the table. And yes, I've had a stinker or two in a 25 plus year career, but ultimately I've really been at it from lower interest rates and affinity for tech stocks and being in tech stocks at the dawn of the internet, then the dawn of social media, and then the dawn of artificial intelligence. Am I smarter than you? I doubt it. IQ tests. Let's just say there's some things I don't know a lot about. I don't know if you put a, a square in a circle or a circle in a square. Some things I don't know. Amidst the vast uncertainty of the stock market, it's more important than ever for investors to understand the benefits and limitations of diversification. Having the right investment mix for your situation is critical in good times in the financial markets and definitely during the downturns. Market volatility poses new challenges for retirees and older Americans. As I retire, I want more spread to things that aren't working as asset classes. In the world of stocks, I tend to say, buy more of your winners, sell more of your losers. In the world of asset class management that can be done through diversified ETFs or indexes, I tend to say sell your winners and buy more of your losers because it's a horse race that goes from left to right and they all move in the right direction over time. I don't believe in going to cash in volatile times. I believe in looking at the asset class that underperformed. This can be played out by a certified financial planner in Monte Carlo simulations to account for market volatility. 
swings in the financial markets are an uncomfortable but inevitable part of being a long-term investor. It's the Callan periodic table of investment returns. And that is how I would look to start the idea of my portfolio um, that's more on the professional side and less on the, I'm really benefiting from lower interest rates. And right now, the, the retail investor is stupid. The retail investor goes, oh, I want one of those seven big tech companies. That's all they know. Notice crypto isn't in there. But it'll be, it'll make their way on to it at some point. Um, avoiding big bets can help limit your downside, and avoiding picking stocks can limit your downside. Now, if you're if you've undersaved at your age, I get it. I get why you're you're desperate. I got an email from a man who's in his late forties and hasn't saved anything, and he, he asked me to uh, about a small cap company that was under five dollars because he's trying to hit a home run. So let's start our first pure strategy show with the concept of the Callan Periodic Table of Investments, C-A-L-L-A-N. Do a little research, start digesting. You don't have no test this week, no test next week. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. Once a week, I like to talk strategy and strategy only. Yes, I'm still looking at the markets. But you really, I want you to focus on 20 things that you can write down that are you when it comes to investments. I just went over the Callan table of asset classes to help show you what diversification can do in down years and how things work over time and how betting on just one asset class will be a mistake over time. Twitter co-founder Evan Williams says Elon Musk's purchase of the company made him sad. He's brilliant but no one's brilliant on everything. What's interesting to note is I knew Twitter wasn't going to be a great investment very early on. There's three companies that have grown revenue 20% for 10 years in a row. They are Apple, Amazon, and Facebook. When it was known as Facebook, now it's known as Meta. It's not surprising that the year after their IPO, Twitter's revenue went down. That was the first sign that they were not going to be a megatech Mega tech, mega cap stock. Three so and Tony Mendez talk a little real estate strategy. See what he's seen out there. Real estate is an important asset class. We talked about that in the calendar periodic table of investment returns. Um, there's publicly traded REITs, then there's homes that you can buy. Tony, you work at, as a mortgage lender. You've known me for 25 years almost. Uh, you've known me that long, but we've worked together in media for that long, roughly. Um, You've done all my mortgages. I can endorse you handily. Let's talk about what some people don't know, because I didn't know 25 years ago. Is there really such a thing as a first-time home buyer program? Uh, good morning, Rob. Morning. Yeah, um, a lot of people kind of confuse the term first-time home buyer and like low down payment and like what really classifies somebody as a first-time home buyer. And that's somebody who hasn't lived in their primary residence for over three years. And um, uh, uh, sorry, lived in a primary residence that they owned. And believe it or not, some lenders classify a first-time home buyer as somebody who's never owned a property over in that three-year period, um, or somebody who hasn't lived in it. So it's kind of confusing. So 
Yes, there are first-time homebuyer programs, and primarily that comes to um, it helps somebody with interest rate when it comes to a low down payment program that they want to qualify for. For example, like the Fannie Mae uh, and Freddie Mac Home Ready and Home Possible programs, and it helps them with the uh, with the what they call LLPAs, which are loan pricing adjustments that they add on to the product that makes the rate higher for the other people out there, the people that make more money and have had a home before. So FHA is another good program that people use, CalHAFA, which is a really good program. You have to be a first-time home buyer for that as well. And they have down payment assistance programs. And in fact, most down payment assistance programs have to, you have to be a first-time home buyer as well and, and owner-occupied. Okay, so they do exist. How do people go about yeah. finding them? Because for me, when I was 20 years old, I was young. I was uneducated on real estate. And you would hear a commercial on radio or something. And I'd go, oh, that sounds interesting. And I, it's, uh, something tells me sometimes when you hear it on radio commercials or television commercials or late night television, those two midget guys in Hawaii talking sure. about real estate investment strategy, they freaked me out because they how could they be better than me? So I approach knowledge very sarcastically um, as far as well, I'd like good, good programs. Go ahead. I'd like to say it was something that you know, we only have these first-time homebuyer programs, but it's like buying a car. You can go to one dealership, and they're going to have the same thing as the other dealership. Um, it's, it's, it is a product that is offered by most lenders that you find out there. But I think what you end up finding is that they use that first-time homebuyer tag as a gimmick to get you excited. Uh, and that's what I don't like about the business overall is is, is – the advertising that you get, whether you're looking at it on social media or you're seeing a commercial or a radio ad, it, it seems so gimmicky when really these are pretty standard products. When we went through Dodd-Frank, a lot of the, you know, the, the Great Recession just cleaned the, the slate when it came to risky products. So everything is pretty standardized right now, and people are focusing on service, turn times, um, you know, the ability to work with somebody local, somebody who's been in the business a long time. Those are building relationships, especially with investors. That's what's important now, but you still have to get caught up with that gimmicky, like, you know, the two guys in Hawaii. And I probably shouldn't use that derogatory term, but that's what we thought of it in the 1980s. Okay, so Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. My father, when he was alive, one of the things he tried to tell me was that Fannie Mae was a great investment. It turned out it did not be a great investment. But they are a great government program that helps buyers afford better rates and lower down payment. Is there anything more that we need to know about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? Well, one of the if I was a first time home buyer, I'd pay attention to something that they just changed. Okay, and that includes uh, Freddie Mac as well, and that's the what they call the AMI, the Area Median Income, and they just increased that for 2023. It starts on Monday for both programs. So that includes a lot more people, a lot more first-time home buyers that can use those home possible and home ready products with the low three percent down payment. Unfortunately, around here, it doesn't really help a lot of people if they're looking at a loan amount that's over the conforming limit um, because they, they don't do the high balance that goes up to a million eighty, I think, or million fifty. So it doesn't help a lot of people in the high balance range, but nationally, it's going to help and increase that increased amount will will bring a larger percentage of first-time home buyers. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have done a really good job is trying to keep up with, you know, the needs of the many. Which is oh, nice a, because uh, Star Trek. <laughs> if I can, you know, throw down a little thought there, it's kind of like um, 
some people in the Bay Area, all we know is big tech stocks. We should to be to help the world go after some S&P 500 stocks other than the big ones. Like um, I wouldn't be telling someone to buy a home in San Francisco right now if they're a first time home buyer. I'd say consider maybe Florida. Consider maybe Austin where the home is, you know, one fifth the average price. Let's move on to HELOCs. Well, we've been talking we have, about that for oh, a long time. Go trying okay. to get okay. people, they, they were scared about buying investment property, or sorry, oh. buying a primary residence, and they just held on their cash. And they, oh. they didn't go out of the boundary of California because, you know, this just wasn't affordable. Oh, I can't buy a house in California. But you can still get yourself into real estate. So um, that's kind of coming back around, especially now when, you know, home prices are are pretty resilient right now. And people need to be forced to go somewhere else to buy in affordable areas. To make it healthier, I'd like to see those home prices come lower, but I hear you. Classic Home Loans, who you work with, has an average 15-day closing on loans. It's really, really solid that you're doing that quick, fast turnaround. Real quick, we don't have a lot of time, but let's talk HELOCs, home equity lines of credit. Um, back in 2021, interest rates were incredibly low. They were great tools. Now in 2023, interest rates have moved up. Are they still great tools? And we only have about 30 seconds. I believe they are. I think everybody should have a, an equity line in some form for, for emergencies. Rates are higher than they were in 21 um, for the first mortgage. So everybody's saying, I don't want to refinance my first loan. I'll just take a, an equity line. But those are in, very competitive. So the credit scores have come down. You can go as low as 640 on, a, on an equity line. Yeah, you're going to suffer in rate, but I think there's still a good product to have for emergencies and to protect that first loan. Tony and Gordon Hines do a podcast for Classic Home Loans. You can find them at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. I'm Rob Black. This interview featured on The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at RobBlack.com. So it's a strategy show. One of the things that makes me happiest, I was recently interviewed by an 18-year-old high school senior female for her podcast for student project. And that makes me happy to see that her father got her started young thinking about money. Um, I've got a list of commandments in your twenties because I kind of think that's when you should start thinking about money. I'm not crazy about parents who try to teach their kids about money when they're six years old, 10 years old, 20 years old or 20 is fine. But Here's the thing. I, I need the parents to have some some skill if they're going to try to pass it on to their kids. And I think the most skill you get is when you're a little bit later in life and you've seen some cycles, you've seen some recessions, you've seen some bear markets. So when I see a young parent who's 35 trying to teach their three-year-old kid, five-year-old kid about credit cards, I'm like, you don't even know yet, dude. You got some ways to go. I, I know you're saying, where are you going out with this, Rob? I'm going somewhere with it. Teaching your kids about money, I think, is important. I'm not downplaying that in any way, shape, or form. But also, like I told you, my father, when he was alive, probably 30 years ago, pulled me aside and said, you know, and I wasn't fascinated with investing at that point in time. I was just getting fascinated with investing. He basically said to me, Fannie Mae, it's good stock. And it was for the 30 years before that started as a housing program for Americans that got low cost access to money. 
Um, it kind of cut out the, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm right on this, kind of cut out some of the biases that banks might have had based on your color or your sexuality. Seemed like a pretty good idea to me. And um, teaching your kids about money, I think, is super important. But also know that you might be teaching some bad habits. Fannie Mae, when we started giving away money in 2000 to anyone, we started lowering the credit score needs. And all Americans had a right to a dream house and all Americans had a right to a $600,000 loan is what we were thinking. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that's where my dad's advice kind of got wonky. But you get the idea. I'm not blaming a guy who's dead. One of the things I say in your 20s, and I want you to enjoy your life, is to start planning ahead. It's not a big financial term. It's not a big concept that you have to digest. But you got five years. That's from your 20 to 25 or 25 to 30. Your medium term is five to 10 years. Your long term is 20 plus years. You're now driving your financial car in your 20s. You got yeah, You don't have to have a budget that makes a lot of sense, but it should be out there in the world of like your head so that you can start tightening it and figuring it out. My budget was like, make sure I pay my mortgage or rent. Make sure I could afford my car and gas. Get some entertainment and food in there. But first and foremost, I wanted to save 15% of everything I ever made and put it in retirement. Because my goal was to retire at 35 with a million dollars and a beautiful woman, and we'd sell oranges on the beach. That goal changed. But guess what? That's another thing you do in your 20s. You you start coming up with goals. You live within your means. Um, In my college years, I got in a little credit card debt. Because I could only work 15 to 20 hours and have a full college load. And I was living as if I was living on 30 to 40 hours. I made saving a habit. I opened mutual funds at Roberts and Stevens. This is what you do in your 20s. This is a no-brainer. Now you can open up an account at Vanguard or Fidelity. You don't need a mutual fund company because uh, index funds through Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab, they've done a really, really nice job of cutting the fees out, which, again, I was paying like 1.8% on my fees back when I was 25. Now you can pay six cents on the dollar instead of a buck 25 on the dollar. But I set it up automatically come out of the bank account. And there was months where I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, I wonder if that, that automatic draw is going to hit and it's going to take me over under zero. It never did, but it, it felt like it could. I established credit in my 20s. I started investing in my 20s. I paid off my credit cards in my 20s. I knew that my marketable skill in college, my degree wasn't a marketable skill to get me the income that I needed. So I taught myself another marketable skill, investing and talking about it. I'm a good talker. I'm a good storyteller. I read a lot of books. I try to read two two books a week. Um, and I, I prefer fiction books over nonfiction. I'm not a historical fiction person in any way, shape, or form. I, like, I want a good story. That's what I try to do here. If I got married in my 20s, I'd, ha- I'd be one-time divorced. I got married in my 30s, and I'm one-time divorced. So I would have been two-time divorce. I would have been on a third marriage. Um, I didn't pick my spouse wisely in my 30s, but that's the 30s. But also in your 20s, I want you to have some fun. Now, let's get back to, and in your 20s, take advice from people with a grain of salt. I can't tell you how many people give bad advice. It's many, many, many people. So age five to eight, let's go, let's go back to that new parent who wants to teach their kid. 
Um, I'm okay starting at this age. Um, things like clean your room, unload groceries from the car, and you can get rewarded with a small incentive like an ice cream or a few bucks, maybe 10 more minutes on the iPad today. That teaches hard work from age five to eight. From nine to 12, I want them to start understanding the meaning of money in a safe and secure way. Take them to a bank, introduce them to the teller, deposit a check, show them how it works. It's an interactive experience. Every time anyone helps me, I tell the person who helps me, whether it's a waiter or a bartender or a banker, thank you. I really appreciate you helping me today. And I make my kids say the same exact thing. Um, and it's cute. But understanding how finances work and understanding that there's safe and secure ways of handling your money by using a bank and not putting it in your room on your desk. Every now and then my kid wants something. He comes into my office and throws up like a $20 bill at me. I'm like, where did you get a $20 bill? And that would be the other part of my life. My spouse, <laughs> I don't use cash. Cash is the weirdest thing in the world to me. Now I look at it. I'm like, this is so germy. So, that's 9-12, but once they become a teenager, I think the education needs to continue. Young people tend to form strong connections with brands. My son loves Nike clothes, Nike shoes, Nike pants. Uh, he has associations with video games. He loves the Microsoft Xbox world more so than the Sony PlayStation world. Um, so he owns some shares of Microsoft. And I, I think it's a good thing. And he sees, wow, dad, you know, my $600 is now $800. And he tells his friends like he's all bra braggadocious. In the big scheme of things, $800 is not a lot of money. You know that and I know that. But my kids have investment accounts in their teens. That's when I introduce them to the concept. Um, and sometimes I put birthday money, Christmas money into the account for them. And I say, you know, you don't need anything right now. So why don't you save it and invest it and get something later when the money becomes a little bit bigger? Last year, my 14-year-old, who will be 15 at the end of the year, he had a girlfriend, which they never kissed. <laughs> they hugged at school. And that was all scandalous. But she had a pretty rough childhood. And her big dream in her childhood was, I can't wait to get a car when I'm 16. Because that'll be like, my, my childhood won't be so tough anymore. And my, my son was like, can I give her money, dad? I'm like, no, but it's sweet that they both saw the goal. They both understood that saving gets you there. Late teenage years. Um, in the next few years, I'm going to introduce my kids to IRAs and Roth IRAs. And I'm going to say, instead of saving up for a car, let's start saving up for your retirement. And I'll show them what 200 will become 400 by the time they're 25, 400 become 800 by the time they're 32 800 will become 1600 by the time they're 40 1600 will become 3200 by the time they're pushing 50 and then i i go that all started with just 200 dollars. that got out of control kind of fast didn't it and if you take a look at your investment accounts when they're in their 20,000 you may go up 25,000 this year and you're like oh i'm up 10 15 20 percent but it doesn't feel like a lot because it's only 5,000. But when you're at 200,000, it goes up 50,000. 
you feel better. And when it's at 2 million, like you get the idea, right? Um, and I show my kids, typically you can count on the stock market to give you eight to 10%. If you had a home run with Microsoft or Nvidia, you're going to get bigger than that. But typically let's, let's be typical. Okay. And then later on, let's be sexy. Um, I used to use this analogy and I, I think it still kind of fits. It doesn't fit with guys. So work with me on this. Women need a variety of underwear. They need functional target stuff that's 10 bucks. They need super strong stuff for, well, when Aunt Flo comes to visit. Durable. Stuff that doesn't look, well, let's just say it looks durable. And then they need sexy stuff to feel good and and beautiful about their body. That's going to be a little more expensive. Same thing happens when it comes to investments. Sexy, you don't need all the time. Just a little bit. You need functional. Um, As my kids go into their 20s, um, that's when I'm going to be introducing them to their trusts and how much I've saved for them. And that's what I'm going to get into more concepts of strengthening your credit history, because I've already started a segment by what to do in your 20s. Remember? So now we move into other concepts as they hit the 20s and get out of their teens. Anyhow, and anyway, I hope this is a, a good show for you. It's a strategy show. If you like it, send me an email, rob at robloxshow.com. It's rob at robloxshow.com. I'm Rob Black. You are listening to the Rob Black Show podcast. For more information on EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. AI hype in the United States that could play out over the next three years with some big winners and losers. NVIDIA, Microsoft, and Amazon are considered the easiest names to play that have businesses they can fall back on. With that said, there's a lot of hype right now that's going to take a lot of time to play out. Wall Street's a discounting mechanism. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare to talk about the discounting mechanism. I've heard, Patrick, that Wall Street looks six months into the future. And when the stock market dipped in the spring, it was saying, oh, there might be a recession coming six months from now, i.e. the winter or the start of 2024. Do you think Wall Street, because there's so much money, do you think it's a discounting mechanism? Do you think it's telling us some of the future or is that just bully? Uh, it is a great question, Rob, because, you know, when you get into uh, markets where there's clearly a lot of momentum, it, it, it gets more challenging to answer such a question because everything looks like it's going to be, you know, just fine and dandy. And uh, and as we've discussed for several weeks now, um, you know, there are enough indicators out there uh, that suggest the, uh, the pace of growth will certainly be slowing in the U.S. economy, if not receding. Uh, at some point, uh, and what that ultimately means for earnings prospects remains to be seen. But uh, at this juncture, uh, the market is clearly taking a, a glass half full uh, view of things, and it appears analysts are too, for the most part, because you're seeing, you know, upward uh, moves in terms of the forward 12-month earnings estimates, um, and uh, and that's creating some confidence here in the near term. And, and, and then you get it joined with uh, a really nice uh, gain in non-farm payrolls last Friday. And so there's certainly, uh, I guess, enough offsetting evidence to think that the economy can avoid a hard landing. Uh, but what you know, what it ultimately comes down to uh, probably won't be anything, you know, terrific, uh, but 
in the face of uh, such aggressive Fed tightening, of course, uh, I think that it's looked at certainly as a victory of sorts if this economy can, in fact, achieve a soft landing uh, through it all. Interesting, because um, I talked to a couple other analysts and strategists, and I get the vibe that they're not completely convinced. And I would say you're not completely convinced on the earnings holding up as strong as they have and going into next year. I'm not pinning anything negative on you. I'm just saying I think you're being realistic and you're um, uh, not excitable. And I think that's a compliment. It's it's a backhanded compliment, but I'm sorry, but it is a compliment. Um, I've I've seen something recently happen and um, I'm seeing the small cap starting to rally. And that makes me happy because Mm -hmm. It's not yep. the top 10 stocks in the S&P 500, Microsoft, NVIDIA. You know, it's not the, the Googles and um, the, the known names. We're seeing some rally, and I find comfort in that. Um, what are you seeing as far as the breadth of the market? Is is it reassuring to see uh, the leaders lead, or do you like seeing the all boats being risen in the tide? Yeah, I, you know, this is, this is something I do like to see, uh, and yeah. it's something that has been – you know, kind of a long time coming here uh, relative to the start of the year, certainly. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because um, when you get broader participation, you know, uh, wider breadth here, um, it, it does lend more confidence to to this notion that, that there's more conviction in the idea that the economy, you know, will avoid any type of hard landing. Um, so you're seeing small cap stocks <clears throat> take leadership here of late. Um, even mid-cap stocks, right? So something even, if you look at just today's price action, you know, you have the S&P 500 down about a tenth of percent. That's the market cap weighted S&P 500. But you have market breadth that's uh, decidedly positive, you know, uh, better than three to one, almost four to one uh, advancers leading decliners today at the NYSC. And then you, sh- you see the Invesco S&P 500 equal weight ETF. It's up 0.3%, you know, which is a reflection of that broader buying interest that's mm-hmm. taking place below the index surface here. And so so that is encouraging to see, um, but we'd like to see it be sustained. Um, it's, it's kind of, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word or, or perspective, it's almost kind of obvious right now that you might see something like this, just given how tremendously uh, overbought in the near term these mega cap stocks have been. And I think there's a, an understanding that they're due for a consolidation period. Um, but, you know, the good thing here, though, having said that, is that while you might see some consolidation in the mega cap stocks, the, the money that might be coming out of them isn't just going to the sidelines. It doesn't appear to be the case. Rather, it looks to be as if it's being reallocated into these other underperforming areas of the market. And so if that continues to be the case, you can kind of get a market that just churns here, which is not bad, um, you know, given how we've had, given the run we've had here. And so sideways is is really indicative of a more of a kind of a, I would argue, bull market action here, given the run that those mega cap stocks have had. And if the market contracts sideways with those mega cap stocks pulling back now, uh, that's an encouraging signal. Um, I looked at my 401k yesterday after a big day of small caps doing well and international doing well. And it felt like the proportion of my retirement money is doing better on a day by day basis because of what you just said about small caps and broader participation. So I'm picking up your vibe and it's a good vibe. Um, taking a look at briefing.com. The big stories, they appear to be pro cyclical vibe. 
rising treasury yields, relative strength in regional banks. Good to see again, because banks are part of our economic system. And like you mentioned, the broad advance paced by small cap stocks. What else are you looking at as far as things that we should talk about today? Well, looking ahead, really, to next week, because okay. we're going to see oh, yeah. the, uh, the, the, consumer, the consumer price index for May, uh, which comes a day before we get the FOMC decision. Now, it appears as if, and it sounds as if, the Fed is likely to, um, I guess the new word is skip, <laughs> a rate right. hike in June. Um, but, you know, odds still favor uh, a rate hike in July. But I think that uh, you could see a rapid adjustment, though, uh, back to poss- you know, possibility of June if you get a consumer price index that proves to be hotter than, uh, than people expect and, uh, and you, know, re- you know, pretty much solidifies the idea that inflation is, you know, staying sticky here at, at higher levels. And so, um, so that'll be a, obviously a, a market moving report and one's going to be closely watched in the coming week. And so, uh, so keeping my eye on those two items certainly next week. And I think the market in general is as well, uh, this week. Um, so that's why you're kind of getting also a little bit of this sort of churning action here, uh, with the broader market not doing a, a lot, but with some rotation below the index surface, like I said, that's helping to benefit other areas of the market that have underperformed this year. It's funny because 20 years ago when we started talking, would I ever have thought there would be a trillion dollar market cap? And probably I would have bet money that there <laughs> wouldn't be. And now there appears to be seven, um, Saudi Ramco, NVIDIA, Tesla, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Apple. Um, what else do we need to focus on, sir, as we wrap up the segment? We've got about two and a half minutes. Yeah, well, you know, it's not just I'm, I'm with you there, Rob. You yep. know, it's, it was remarkable when we. Um, you know, the first company passed a, a trillion-dollar market capitalization. But, you know, Apple at its high the other day, uh, just before it announced its Vision Pro uh, reality headset, uh, was pushing a $3 trillion market capitalization, which is just astounding. Uh, and I think it, it, it's just, again, it, it's a reminder of the uh, of the, the massive market cap weight that those stocks at the top uh, carry. And uh, you can get a, you know, really good showing from, you know, uh, a large number of smaller names, but it just takes, you know, just, uh, you know, not so great showing from a few of those mega cap stocks to kind of keep the, the broader market in, in check at the, you know, on a market cap weighted basis. And so, um, so you have to be careful, I think, about concentration risk there. Um, there's certainly a crowding effect that's coming into play with those mega yep. cap names. Um, but at the same time, recognize the opportunity that, that does exist from a long-term investing standpoint because of other stocks that have been avoided at, at this point in time. And that's why you have better valuation uh, angles in terms of these smaller mid-cap names. And even within the S P 500 itself, as we've talked about before, uh, when looking at things on an equal-weighted basis versus a market-cap-weighted basis. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. I start my day each and every day with his content on page one of Briefing.com. It's a reliable source of international and national news that you can use to your positive effect. He is, we are vibing on the same feeling that it's nice to see market breath pick up and see some other winners. Uh, And again, the easiest way I can make this for my audience to understand is he writes market commentary that I read. And maybe I'm absorbing it too much, but uh, looking at the seven big mega cap stocks, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. I own 
almost every one of those seven big mega caps, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon. Um, I don't own Tesla, but I own Tesla because I own the S&P 500. I own NVIDIA. I don't own Saudi Aramco. That's the seventh one. That's the one that probably no one would think of except for people in the industry. And am I worried the bigger they are, the harder they fall? No. Last year when they were falling, I told you to buy. And I said, you will be rewarded. It may take up to three years. It took about one. Um, I'm not in the business of told you so. I'm in the business of getting into retirement. And what's working now is diversification, small caps and international mid caps. And I like seeing that. Um, Again, I'm wealthy. I kind of want my neighbor to be wealthy, too. Otherwise, they may sell their house and someone moves in that I don't like. Uh, same idea with investing. If you've if you've done well, you want other people around you to do well. Um, and are you investing in capitalism or are you investing in the church of Apple or the church of Microsoft or the church of Amazon? Try to do it for the right reasons, if you know what I'm saying. Again, you can find briefing and Patrick Hare is such a generous man, such a smart man. You should listen to that segment again. Find me online at Rob Black Show. Join Rob Black in San Carlos Sunday, June 25th for Pints and Portfolios, a less formal event at a local watering hole for those close to retirement with 500000 or more in investable assets. Drop by Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4 for a little sunshine, some financial chit-chat, and a complimentary portfolio review or financial snapshot from Ryan Ignacio, CFP from EP Wealth Advisors. Whether you're on the road to retirement or already there, this financial snapshot can provide Provide you with a second opinion analysis of where you are and highlight areas for improvement and opportunities for growth. Go to robblackshow.com and click the events tab. Find Pints and Portfolios and click to register. You'll answer a few simple questions about your situation and your confirmation email will provide all the details on the event and how to schedule your portfolio review. Space is limited and registration is required, so go to robblackshow.com today. That's robblackshow.com. So in this last segment today, I just want to get to some kind of potpourri, some grab bag, some financial tips, hints, and tricks that are left over from the week. Um, Hopefully that doesn't upset you. I think a couple weeks ago, I did a segment where I talked about my favorite stock analysts and how I use Google alerts assigned to their name and their company. And anytime something pops up, I read the research or watch the video on them. Google alerts. I can't possibly watch what Moffat Nathanson's doing and Jeffries and um, KKR, but I want to know what some of the analysts like Michael Brown, Stephanie Moore, Jackson Ader, Jackson Ader. I always want to say Adler for some reason. Something weird in my head there. Uh, Brian Ching at Jason Morgan, JP Morgan. So I have Google alerts. And that helps keep me up to date with their research. Now, to further this idea, there's also some analysts. There's some um, big thinkers that I like to, to follow who understand tech way better than I do. First and foremost, I learned one of my greatest successes in investing was back in the late, early, uh, mid-90s. And um, there was something called DSL, Digital Subscriber Lines, and there was POTS, plain old telephone system, which is copper lines. And data travels way faster on digital subscriber lines than it did on POTS. 
uh, the AT&Ts, the Verizons, you get the idea that modem technology was about to be changed. And when modem technology started, um, it took 50 minutes for me to download my first song in the 1980s. 50 minutes. And I may be exaggerating. It may have been longer than that. And I remember that if the, if my brother would pick up the phone, the modem would hang up. And I'd go, ah, I was downloading something. And my first song I ever downloaded, which is really weird that I, I remember this, Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It, which is really, really funny. But there is strategist that, okay, so I found out about DSL by reading Wired Magazine. Wired Magazine is kind of a futurist thing, and they talk about, oh, one day we're going to have cars that float or electric vehicles, and there's this guy named Elon Musk. In this case, it was an article about digital subscriber lines, and it basically said there's a forum from the companies that are going to be doing the technology to try to create standards. And if you can get in on the companies that are creating the standards, you can win a lot of money and invest in investing. And I did. I bought a company called Amati. AMTX was the ticker symbol and it rocked, but there was also three or four other names on that list that did really, really well as well. So yeah, I still read wired magazine. I'm a little bit older now and I think the magazine's a little bit more commercial, but back then they were talking about some breaking stuff in the internet and download speeds. So one guy that I follow who blows my mind, is a guy named Ben Thompson. And he was talking about this week, an alert went off for him on Apple's new Vision Pro. And you can watch the videos of this guy. Again, his name's Ben Thompson. He's with Stratechery. So think of it as ST Strat E Cherry. Strat E Cherry. So it's kind of like George Bush would say Strategery. And you'd be like, I think you just butchered the word strategy, Strategery. So he actually works, Ben Thompson, at Stretchery, Strategery. Uh, but he talked about how the Vision Pro, the big winner for it, he sees is with the Mac. Because you'll be able to interface with your Mac and suddenly have more screens that you're able to access, which just sounds like open windows to me. So that's where he loses me. Um, but that's where the whole spatial technology comes in as well. So I think you should always have somebody like him that you're always reading. I do not read anything about the San Francisco Giants. I, I don't know who their lineup is. I'll watch a game, but I, I don't spend my time studying who's got the fastest down lineman. Don't know anything about football. I'm embarrassingly bad. Let's talk about some things you should never, ever buy if you want to retire early. Um, some of this is going to make sense, and some of this is you're going to go, bully, 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 bully. Um, luxury goods, high-end cars, designer clothes, big vacations, they drain your savings. Um, I go back to my college days when my college girlfriend and I broke up and I was trying to figure out what went wrong. And she said, I just enjoyed sitting on the couch with you. We didn't have to go to movies and we didn't have to go to New York and we didn't have to go big, expensive New Year's Eve plans. She just wanted to sit on the couch with me and eat, eat, eat corn chips, um, which we did. And that was one of our best dates, but we also drew each other with uh, charcoal. Kind of liked the movie, the Titanic. Um, but before the movie Titanic, just to say we were both, she's really good sketching. And now that she's 50 and she's married to an Australian man, uh, we follow each other on Facebook and it's beautiful to see that she's never stopped sketching. 
So you don't have, especially when you're young, you don't have to go after expensive things. Um, if you want to be rich and retire early, don't do timeshares. Period. They come with hefty annual fees. They're hard to sell. They rarely appreciated value. Stay away from high interest debt or credit card debt. Right now, the average credit card debt's over 20%, uh, not debt, but interest rate is over 20%. If you don't get a 20% jump in your pay this year, you're struggling there to keep up with what you've already paid for. It's going up in price more so than me, who's not carrying that debt. One. Speculative investments are something you really want to stay away from. Um, d- digital currencies are speculative. Now, I know you can make a case for it, but I'm telling you, they're speculative compared to Caterpillar. And that's not a good example because Caterpillar's having a bad year compared to Coca-Cola, compared to JP Morgan, compared to um, something that's been investable for 50 years is different than something that's been investable for five or 10. Stay away from high fee financial products. Stay away from unnecessary items. My wife has a coffee making machine that's like 1400 bucks. We don't need that. Expensive homes, I would be much happier on a one level than a two level, but that's me. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. This has been a strategy show. I hope you've enjoyed. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.